With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Life's full of things we can't depend on. Like the Irish weather. Predictably unpredictable. When you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for Lucky 7. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now CERTA, delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can depend on, see CERTAIreland.ie. Magda Goebbels was certain that there was a bright future in the Nazi party, but when she was proven wrong, she believed that the world was not a good enough place for her children. She made sure that they were not left behind to suffer the consequences of her actions. This is Monsters. Joanna Maria Magdalena Ritzel, who went by Magda, was born on November 11, 1901 in Berlin, Germany. She was born to Augusta Burhard, and though her father's name on her birth certificate had been left blank, it's believed her father was a building contractor named Oscar Ritzel. Oscar and Augusta were married shortly after Magda's birth, but the relationship was short-lived and they divorced in 1905. In 1908, Augusta married a Jewish businessman named Richard Friedlander, who adopted the young girl, making her Joanna Maria Magdalena Friedlander. Richard was a leather goods magnate from Brussels, Belgium, and they moved there where Richard doted on Magna, creating jealousy from Augusta. Magna's relationship with her stepfather was very strong. Even after he and Augusta divorced in 1914, the young girl still looked to him as a father figure. In fact, a document discovered by historians in 2016 showed that Richard may have actually been Magda's biological father. A 1904 residency card for Richard Friedlander listed Magda as his biological daughter, and it's possible that Augusta had a relationship with Richard before marrying Oscar. An entry in Joseph Gorbel's diary in 1934 references Magda discovering something shocking from her past. Historians believe it may be referencing the discovery that Richard was her biological father. Either way, Magda's biological father, or at least the man she saw as her main father figure, was in fact Jewish, a detail she would have to hide later in life. In 1914, when the First World War broke out in Europe and Germany invaded Belgium, all the Germans were forced to leave Belgium. When that happened, Richard's money was frozen in Belgium and he had no job. This made the family live amongst the poor people of Berlin who were at the Red Cross once a day to get a meal. They lived in a homeless encampment until Richard finally got a job and they were able to move into their own place. 
At school, Magda became friends with a classmate named Elisa Arlosorov. Lisa was from a Zionist family of refugees from Ukraine, and the girls bonded over their experience with forced evacuations. Zionism was the movement within the Jewish religion for the development of a Jewish nation, what is now known as Israel. The girls became best friends and spent almost all of their free time together. Lisa's brother, Chaim, hadn't noticed Magda at first. To him, she was just his sister's friend. But when she was 15 years old and he was 17, the two got to know each other during a dinner party and a relationship developed. Magda would accompany Chaim to Zionist youth meetings and even wore a Star of David while they dated. After World War I, anti-Semitic propaganda was spreading through Germany. Fears that Jews were taking over the world, or that they were plotting to take over Germany, caused a rift between Magda and the Arlozorovs. Though Magda had grown up in a home that practiced the Jewish religion and her second family was also Jewish, the young girl was much more concerned with social status. Whether she believed the propaganda or not, she didn't want to be an outcast in the society that already favored her due to her looks and heritage. She removed the Star of David necklace and stopped associating with Lisa or Chaim. Magda was accepted to a finishing school in Holzhausen. After coming home to Berlin for a visit, she was riding the train back when she met a man named Gunther Quant. Magda was 19 years old by this time, and Gunther was 39. Gunther was a very rich industrialist who used his money to court Magda with lavish gifts. She wasn't in love with him, but he would get her to the highest social class, which was more important to Magna than anything else. Gunther also hated Jews, which pushed Magna more into the German norm of the time of believing the propaganda. They were married on January 4, 1921. The couple had one son, Harold, born on November 1, 1921. They lived together with Gunther's two sons from his previous marriage and three children from a deceased friend that he had adopted. Though Magda didn't believe she really loved Gunther, she didn't want to be ignored by him. His work always took precedent over everything else. Due to this lack of attention, Magda began having an affair which led to their divorce in 1929. Magna made no effort to hide her affair. Her goal was to get Gunther to divorce her and have to pay her a large settlement. Unfortunately, she didn't realize that the law in Germany at the time would punish her infidelity by taking away her custody of Harold and making her ineligible for a settlement. Magda ended up finding some love letters that Gunther had written to a woman from a poor family. As someone in high society now, news that he had once been involved with a poor woman would tarnish his reputation, so Magda blackmailed Gunther for custody of their son and a financial settlement. Harold would live with Magda until he was 14 years old and then go off to live with his father where he could take over the family business. Now, single in Berlin, Magda was urged by friends to attend a Nazi rally. Magda was not an overly political person. Most of her personal opinions came from what could gain her the most social status. In Berlin, it was hard to ignore the Nazi party's hold on the German population, though. It was at this rally that Magda heard Joseph Goebbels speak and was very impressed. Joseph Goebbels was born on October 29, 1897, near Dusseldorf, Germany. Joseph had a PhD in philosophy and wanted to become a published author. He wrote two plays, but never sold them. After college, Joseph's anti-Semitism grew, and after reading Houston Stewart Chamberlain's 1899 book, The Foundations of the Nineteenth Century, a book about the superiority of the Aryan race, he really took the plunge into the Volkish nationalist movement. This movement was based on a collection of beliefs, the most constant being the need for a national rebirth. 
This would be done either by Germanizing Christianity, which is an Abrahamic and Semitic religion, or by rejecting Christianity entirely and reviving pre-Christian German paganism. Many Germans who followed the Volkish Nationalist Movement went on to create the German Workers' Party, which eventually became the National Socialist German Workers' Party, which is what the Nazi Party was actually called. Joseph was drawn to Adolf Hitler's propaganda, and after Hitler was released from prison in December of 1924, Joseph joined the Nazi Party. He was member number 8,762. He started off working as a district leader, being somewhat unsure of his agreement with Hitler, but after reading Mein Kampf, he believed that the man was going to be the greatest leader ever. He professed his complete loyalty to Adolf Hitler and started making speeches for the party. Joseph eventually became one of the highest members of the Nazi party, spending most of his time as the Minister of Propaganda. By 1930, he was running the Nazi party's national campaign, which involved thousands of speeches all over Germany. After Joseph spoke, Adolf Hitler approached the podium and began giving a speech that would solidify Magda's sense of belonging in the Nazi party. Without thinking, she followed along as the crowd stood and raised their right hand into the air. Though not one to get overly political, she knew that the Nazi party could make her a part of something bigger than herself. More so than social status, she could be part of what she believed would become a worldwide power. Magda joined the Nazi party on September 1, 1930. She began volunteering at a local campaign office as the leader of the Nazi party's Women's Commission. She read Mein Kampf and studied the writing of Alfred Rosenberg. Alfred claimed to not be Jewish, as his name would suggest, and claimed to be German, but that has been debated by historians. He was an extremely anti-Semitic man who temporarily led the party after Hitler was arrested in 1923. He believed that Germans were the most gifted people and therefore they should rule the world. So the guy that claimed that Germans were the most gifted people in the world also happened to be German? What a coincidence! How come you never hear a person claim a different nationality is the best nationality in the world? I've never heard a German or an Italian or an American say, you know what, I think the Spanish are the most gifted people. They should rule the world. The person making the claim always conveniently happened to be one of those special people who should rule the world. It's quite a remarkable phenomenon. As an aside, Alfred believed that racial mixing would dilute German blood physically, intellectually, and sociologically, and make it more difficult for Germans to take their rightful place in the world order. Alfred himself was barely German. He was born in what is now Estonia. His mother was of French and German descent, and his father was of Russian and Latvian descent. Alfred Rosenberg was a hypocritical fucking idiot. Anyway... This was a time in Magda's life where she pushed away her memories of Jewish prayer before meals with Richard Friedlander or the Erlazorovs, and her love for Chaim. Remembering them as good, loving people would contradict what she was being taught, and it was easier to just forget those things ever happened in order to continue down this path to higher social status. Magda eventually quit her position with the Women's Commission and got a job at the Nazi Party headquarters in Berlin. Because she was bilingual, they had her reading articles from the foreign press and reporting on how other countries felt about the Nazis. She then worked briefly for Joseph's deputy, but after Joseph met the young woman, he invited her to be in charge of his own private papers. When Joseph took Magda and some others on a trip to Weimar in February of 1931, the two began having a physical relationship. Though there were ups and downs over the course of the year, the couple married on December 19, 1931. This was almost an arranged marriage. 
The top leadership of the Nazi party, including Hitler, wanted Joseph and Magda to become the example of a perfect Aryan family. Though Joseph and Magda had begun a relationship, the marriage was pushed into happening early so that Joseph had a respectable female partner since Hitler planned to remain unmarried. This put Magda into the position of First Lady of the Third Reich. Magda developed a very close relationship with Hitler. She became an unofficial representative of the regime, receiving letters from all over Germany from women with questions about domestic matters or child custody issues. She looked at Adolf Hitler as the most important man in her life and wanted nothing more than his acceptance. In 1932, the Nazi party became the largest elected party in Germany, and Hitler ran for president against incumbent Paul von Hindenburg, but lost. President Hindenburg was convinced to appoint Hitler as the Chancellor of Germany on January 30, 1933. Just ten years earlier, in 1923, Adolf Hitler had been arrested for trying to overthrow the German government. Now, the president was appointing him chancellor. I don't see a flaw in that. During 1933, the president enacted a couple of laws that basically gave Hitler absolute power, and when President Hindenburg died on August 2, 1934, Hitler took his place and deemed himself the Führer, or leader, of Germany. As Joseph Goebbels was one of Hitler's closest officers, he and Magda began living a very privileged life. Joseph was appointed head of the Reich Ministry of Public Enlightenment and Propaganda. He took his new position and immediately implemented a book-burning campaign. Any book that was against Nazi ideals was to be banned and publicly burned. The couple would go on to have six children between 1932 and 1940. Helga was born on September 1, 1932. Hildegard was born on April 13, 1934. And Helmut, Joseph's only son, was born on October 2, 1935. No. Good boy. Keep your hat on, pet. Why? We're playing dinner at the North Pole, remember? So we need to wear our big warm coats inside. When it comes to food or heat, many families will face impossible choices this Christmas. Please support the St. Vincent de Paul Annual Appeal. Donate locally or at svp.ie. Thank you. Life's full of things we can't depend on. Like the Irish weather. Predictably unpredictable. When you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for lucky seven. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now Certa, delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can depend on, see certaireland.ie. In 1936, Joseph began having an affair with a Czech actress, Lita Bearova, that went on for years. During that time, Holdine was born on February 19, 1937. In retaliation for Joseph's affair, Magda began having an affair with another man, and it's reported that she asked Hitler for permission to divorce. The Gorbals were supposed to be the perfect Aryan family, and someone as conservative as Hitler was not okay with marital affairs going on. He was not about to give up on the perfect image of a Nazi family. Hitler intervened, and on August 16, 1938, he told Joseph to break off his affair and repair his relationship with Magda. He then took a series of photos with the family to show the world that everything was great with the Gorbals. Then, Lita was blacklisted from working, and people were paid to heckle her and call her a whore until she left the country. Good old superior Aryan values. Despite the troubles in their relationship, the Gorbals continued to have children. Hedvig was born on May 5, 1938. The perfect Aryan family was almost complete, and Joseph would put them to good use after the war started. 
Richard Friedlander was arrested on June 15, 1938, and sent to the Buchenwald concentration camp due to the fact that he was Jewish. Magda made no effort to help him, and she still refused to reveal any connection to Jews from her past. At 57 years old, Richard was forced into hard labor, which, along with the horrible living conditions, led to his death on February 18, 1939, three days after his 58th birthday. World War II started when Germany invaded Poland on September 1, 1939. After the war started, Joseph took control of all the media information in Germany. All domestic information was produced by the Ministry of Propaganda to inform the German people of only what the Nazi leaders wanted them to know. Obviously, one of the biggest subjects that the propaganda covered was the promotion of anti-Semitism, but they also used propaganda to promote eugenics and euthanasia of babies with birth defects, to distribute misinformation about their opponents, and show how the German people were superior to everyone else. The ministry also sent out news to other countries reporting more information in order to make Germany look like they were the good guys. That was initially why the Gorbels family was created in the first place to be that shining example of a perfect family. In order for more people to learn about them, they published numerous films that were played for the German people. In 1939, Joseph had already produced a film that showed his children as the quote-unquote healthy children, in contrast to the handicapped children in a propaganda film intended to promote the euthanasia of handicapped children. The most insane part of this was that Joseph Goebbels was born handicapped. He had a deformed foot, had unsuccessful surgery on it, and even as an adult, walked with a limp because of it. If his own propaganda was followed when he was born, he wouldn't even be alive. After Hydrin was born on October 29, 1940, Joseph began putting his children into weekly newsreels. In 1942, they appeared in 34 reels showing them going about their daily routines. He was photographed with Helga and Hilda when he gave his total war speech in 1943. Magda spent most of the 1940s in the hospital due to a heart condition. The heart condition would become worse during a pregnancy and would take time after the birth for her to regain her strength. In 1941, she had a mild heart attack followed by a bout of bronchitis. Again, this is their example of a perfect Aryan family. Their example of the Aryan race, which was supposed to be the superior one, consisted of Joseph, who was born handicapped, and Magda, who had a heart condition. People their propaganda said were too weak to be included in their gene pool. In 1942, Magda visited a military hospital and gave a morale-boosting speech to injured German military personnel. On Mother's Day, she gave a speech to a thousand German women in Berlin. By 1943, though Hitler had told his senior officers not to discuss the details of the death camps with their wives, Joseph still told Magda about them. She wrote to her friend and prior sister-in-law, Elo Quant, quote, It's terrible all the things he's telling me now. I simply can't bear it anymore. You can't imagine the awful things he's tormenting me with, end quote. But she was not able to give too much information to the friend. Magda had also told another friend regarding Hitler, quote, He no longer listens to voices of reason. Those who tell him what he wants to hear are the only ones he believes, and all one can do is stand by and watch what is happening. It's all going to end badly, end quote. In July of 1944, Magda had to have surgery on her face due to a problem with her trigeminal nerve. This is a nerve that travels along the side of your face and gives you feeling in your face. Something had happened with hers that caused the right side of her face to become paralyzed. The surgery was only partly successful and she was left with pain afterward. By the beginning of 1945, Magda could see the end of the Nazi party coming. 
after the United States got involved in the war and continued to advance towards Germany, the signs kept popping up. By February, the Soviet army was closing in on the east, and the U.S. and British armies were closing in to the west. On February 25, 1945, Magda went to Hitler's personal doctor and asked him for enough cyanide to kill herself and her six children. She already knew at this point that Germany was about to lose the war and nobody would forgive Hitler for the things he had done. Anyone who was as close to the Fuhrer as she was had no future at all after the fall of Nazi Germany. Magda wrote to Ello in March of 1945, quote, We have demanded monstrous things of the German people, treated other nations with pitiless cruelty. For this, the victors will extract their full revenge. We can't let them think we are cowards. Everybody else has the right to live. We haven't got this right. We have forfeited. I make myself responsible. I belonged. I believed in Hitler and for long enough in Joseph Goebbels. Suppose I remain alive. I should immediately be arrested and interrogated about Joseph. If I tell the truth, I must reveal what sort of man he was, must describe all that happened behind the scenes. Then any respectable person would turn from me in disgust. It would be equally impossible to do the opposite. That is to defend what he has done, to justify him to his enemies, to speak up for him out of true conviction. That would go against my conscience. So you see, Ello, it would be quite impossible for me to go on living. We will take the children with us. They are too good, too lovely for the world which lies ahead. In the days to come, Joseph will be regarded as one of the greatest criminals that Germany has ever produced. His children would hear that said daily. People would torment them, despise and humiliate them. They would have to bear the burden of his sins and vengeance would be wreaked on them. It has all happened before. You know how I told you at the time, quite frankly, what the Fuhrer said in the cafe in Munich where he saw a little Jewish boy, you remember, that he would like to squash him flat like a bug on a wall. I couldn't believe it and thought it was just provocative talk, but he really did it later. It was also unspeakably gruesome, end quote. Hitler had suggested that the Gorbals flee Berlin, but they refused. Others offered to smuggle the children out of the country, but Magda said that they all had to stay with Joseph. She told Hitler's secretary, quote, I would rather have my children die than live in disgrace, jeered at. My children stand no chance in Germany after the war, end quote. By this time, the Gorbals family was living in Hitler's bunker with him, Eva Braun, and a few other high-ranking officers. Magda wrote a letter to her oldest son, Harold. He served in the German army during the war, but was taken as a POW by Allied forces in 1944 and was still being held when Magda began preparing her family's death. She wrote, quote, Harold, my beloved son, by now we have been in the Fuhrer bunker for six days already. Daddy, your six little siblings, and I, for the sake of giving our national socialist lives the only possible honorable end. You shall know that I stayed here against Daddy's will, and even on the last Sunday, the Fuhrer wanted to help me get out. You know your mother. We have the same blood. For me, there was no wavering. Our glorious idea is ruined, and with it, everything beautiful and marvelous that I had known in my life. The world that comes after the Fuhrer and National Socialism is not any longer worth living in, and therefore I took the children with me. For they are too good for the life that would follow, and a merciful God will understand me when I will give them salvation. The children are wonderful. There never is a word of complaint or crying. The impacts are shaking the bunker. The elder kids cover the younger ones. Their presence is a blessing, and they are making the Fuhrer smile once in a while. May God help that I have the strength to perform the last and hardest. We only have one goal left, loyalty to the Fuhrer, even after death. Harold, my dear son, I want to give you what I learned in life. Be loyal, loyal to yourself, loyal to the people, and loyal to your country. Be proud of us and try to keep us in dear memory.
End quote. Harold would find out that his mother murdered his six half-siblings and herself long before the letter ever reached him. He was released in 1947 and went on to run his father's company. Magda visited with Hitler and Eva just before the two committed suicide on April 30th. The following day, Magda got all of the Gorbel's girls into their nightgowns and brushed their hair. She delicately tied a bow into each girl's hair. She delicately tied a bow into each of the girls' hair. After all six children were ready for bed, they were given cocoa laced with morphine and they fell fast asleep. Nobody knows exactly what happened to the children after that, as everybody involved ended up dead, but it's believed that Magda then crushed up the cyanide into each of the children's mouths and watched as they all died. The Soviet army was now in Berlin, making their way towards the bunker. Hitler and any other high-ranking officers who stayed were now dead and the others had fled. The Gorbel's children were dead, and Magda sat in the bunker, playing solitaire and chain-smoking. At 8.40 p.m., Joseph and Magda left the bunker and went into the nearby garden, where two shallow graves had been dug. They each turned to each other, both wearing golden Nazi party badges, and Magda bit down on her cyanide capsule. Joseph then shot her in the head. He then bit down on his capsule and shot himself. Their bodies were dragged into graves, doused in fuel, and lit on fire. Joseph and Magda's bodies were discovered by Soviet troops the next day. The bodies hadn't burned completely and Joseph was still identifiable, but Magda's face was burned beyond recognition. German Vice Admiral Hans Voss was brought in to identify the bodies. The bodies of the children in the bunker weren't discovered until May 3rd. After the remains of the family had been buried and exhumed multiple times, they were eventually destroyed in April of 1970. All of the remains were cremated and the ashes were poured into the Biederitz River. Though Joseph Goebbels is in no way innocent in the death of his children, along with being a horrible monster in his own for his involvement in the Holocaust, I put the focus of this episode on Magda, mainly because Joseph seemed to originally want Magda and the children to flee Berlin. It was Magda who planned, at least a month in advance, that death was the only option for her children. Another idea that she seemed to be wrong about, as Harold went on to live a seemingly normal life, taking over his father's business, marrying, and having children of his own. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please talk to your local battered women's shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. The great thing about this website is that, at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught looking for help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility, call 911, or call Mental Health America, who operate the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and will talk to you about any mental health issue you might be facing. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. You can subscribe or follow the show to ensure you don't miss an episode, and you can leave us a rating on whatever podcast app you use. If you'd like to support the show, you can do that by checking out our merchandise at Teespring. You can also discuss the channel and the episodes on our subreddit, r forward slash thisismonsters. You can find more ways to support our show and how to find us on social media by visiting thisismonsters.com. Thanks again, and be safe. Life's full of things we can't depend on, like the Irish weather, predictably unpredictable. 
when you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for Lucky 7. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now Certa, Delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can depend on, see CertaIreland.ie. No. Good boy. Keep your hat on, pet. Why? We're playing dinner at the North Pole, remember? So we need to wear our big warm coats inside. When it comes to food or heat, many families will face impossible choices this Christmas. Please support the St. Vincent de Paul annual appeal. Donate locally or at svp.ie. Thank you.